Hey y'all and welcome to the next episode of Where All the Ladies At, a history podcast that dives deep into women that have been either erased or played down in history and it happens quite a bit which is very sad. I'm Kim, your host and friendly neighborhood history geek who wants to really expose these women and give them their time in the sun because they did a lot of great things and you know they deserve credit for it. You know the guys always get credit why the fuck don't we get credit it's just amazingly unfair you know so that being said let's try to right this wrong is what i'm trying to say i'm a little stumbly over my words this week and that may be because i'm so so excited about who we're talking about today you know we've been bouncing around the 15th and 16th century the last couple episodes and i thought you know let's go let's go way way back and i'm talking way back ancient mesopotamia back and we're going to be talking about a woman who who was a writer and a poet and priestess and all of these wonderful things that just seem so amazing to have accomplished, especially given the time she lived in. This woman's name was Enhejuana. And ladies and gentlemen, I googled to make sure I could pronounce this right. And I think I'm going to be doing that going forward because I've stumbled over a lot of words in the last couple episodes and uh, I don't want to offend anybody and I want to give these women their due and so I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it as best as possible. There may be some names that just my my mouth doesn't want to do, you know? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Enhejuana and dive into her life and talk about everything. But before we get into the content of this episode, I just want to say a quick thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast, liked my posts on social media. It really means a lot to me. If you guys are into the show, you can always reach out to me via my social media or shoot me an email, whatever's more comfortable for you. All the information is in the description box, so please feel free to reach out to me. You reach out to me whether it's just you want to say hi or you want to discuss a topic or you have a topic that you'd like me to dive deep into, I'm here for it. I'm looking for a community. I'm looking for fellow history nerds. I'm looking for people that are interested so that we can get some good dialogue going about these women. You really just, they, they really, really deserve to be seen and heard. That being said, there is a lot more coming down the pike and I just kind of want to let you guys know. I'm writing some ebooks that are going to be situated on a lot of the women we've already talked about so we can dive deeper. Uh, I started a medium publication so there's quick blogs about each of these young ladies over there if you'd like to read them. There's a lot coming down the way guys. So if you want to support me please by all means check those other avenues out as well and I think that it's it for right now. At the end of the show we'll maybe discuss a few other things that might be coming up. Right now I'm so excited. I want to dive in to talking about this fantastic fucking woman who even at a time where women were not, you know, they were looked at as just property and pretty much breeding purposes, unless they were mystical, which she was a priestess, so maybe you never know. She still, even in that time, she still became the prize of the time and was a well-known poet that, that's, that's amazing to me. Anyways, so let's just dive into all of this. But as always, before we jump into her story, we need to really talk about what was going on with women in ancient Mesopotamia and what the fuck was going on in Mesopotamia itself. 
All right, we're gonna travel back to ancient Mesopotamia where, you know, we thought that they had it bad in the 15th and 16th century, and for pretty much they did. But if you go further and further back in time, where women were at and how they were looked at is very, very different. So during Inhejuana's time, it was, Mesopotamia was ruled by King Sargon of Akkad. And during this time, women had limited legal rights. Let's just start with the legal rights because basically women were considered to be under the authority of their male relatives. That means that either their fathers or their husbands or their brothers had control over everything they did. This ranged from everything from the legal matters as we were just talking about to economic matters. Women's legal status was defined specifically by their relationship to men. What did that mean? It meant that women's primary role was centered around the house, of course. As always, you know, they were responsible for the domestic affairs, you know, childcare, food preparation, keeping the house clean. You know, they were good little housewives. And while, you know, some of them did engage in crafts or small scale trading, you know, really looking at the skills that they had around the house and trading goods for that like I'm sure it was like pottery and like sewing and weaving and that kind of stuff. These activities were supplemental to their domestic duties. That means if they wanted to do this they had to do everything else and then they could get to their fun. Which if I think about it nowadays I don't know if things have changed a lot really in some aspects. I feel like you know we have to get our duties done before we can go out and have fun. Now Let's talk about religion, right? So at this time, society was deeply influenced by religion and women had, this was the one area where women actually had significant roles, where they had some semblance of power. You know, a lot of women served as priestesses, like in Hejuana in temples. They played essential roles in religious ceremonies and rituals. So if you could be a priestess, your status was a little bit higher, but that didn't necessarily translate to a broader societal influence. It just meant you didn't have to do certain things because you were looked at as special. Also, in this lovely world of ancient Mesopotamia, society was a hierarchical system, and because of women's status, it depended on their social class as well. So not only do you have to worry about being one, but you have to worry about whether you're rich or poor, which, once again, I don't think is that much different than nowadays, but that's for a whole different show and a whole different topic. So basically that meant noble women, just like in the 15th and 16th century that we've talked about with Elizabeth Bathory and Katarina Sforza had more privileges. They had more opportunities. Even though they had the, the more cushy lifestyle, their lives were not spectacular and they were circumscribed by societal norms and expectations even if they were uh, from a well-off family. One thing that a well-off family did have, much like every other time period we're going to discuss, is that they had more access to educational opportunities because educational opportunities were limited for women in Mesopotamia. You know, formal education was typically reserved for only boys and girls got primarily educated in like practical skills, but they didn't get any of the like philosophy or any of the more advanced. Of course, there were some exceptions that existed. And in truth, education was not kind of the most important thing during ancient Mesopotamian, especially for women. So you can see that we're already, you know, Enhajuana was already running into a lot of 
walls. But you know, she took a deep breath and she just ran right through those walls. So that's kind of what it was like for women in uh, Mesopotamia at this time. But what was going on in Mesopotamia? Because we can look at what was happening to the women, but sometimes to understand the broader picture, you have to understand what was going on in the area itself. Now it's time to dive deep into what exactly was happening in Mesopotamia at this time. What was Enhejuana having to deal with and what was affecting the world around her? When you're dealing with this ancient civilization and where everything happens, a lot of stuff starts in Mesopotamia. And Mesopotamia was referred to as the land between two rivers because it was located in the eastern Mediterranean and it was bordered by the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. It, if you look at a modern day map, the area that was Mesopotamia would be modern day Iraq, Syria, Kuwait, and parts of Iran and uh, Turkey. So this region is often talked about as the cradle of civilization because it was the blooming point for a lot of different things. It witnessed the emergence of a lot of the earliest complex societies. At the time of Enhejuana, during the third millennium BCE, Mesopotamia was marked by a lot of significant geopolitical and cultural developments. Which basically means there was a lot of political crap going on and a lot of developments in writing and thoughts and religion. So some of the most intriguing aspects. During this time, Mesopotamia was characterized by the presence of city-states. These were like independent little cities, each with its own ruler and governing structure. And that could be very challenging. But Sargon of Akkad, and Hedjewana's father actually, he got together and he started building an empire. And this was going to be called the Akkadian Empire. And this started in the 24th century BCE. He began consolidating several city-states under his centralized rule, which basically means he went and he conquered city-states and said, hey, I'm your king now, whether you like it or not, right? So the Akkadian Empire, though, was one of the earliest examples of a, of a larger territorial state in Mesopotamia. In this area, it was primarily inhabited by Sumerians. This was the indigenous people of southern Mesopotamia. And they, in general, had a big impact on the region's cultural religious landscape. The Sumerians, they developed so much stuff. It's like they developed the earliest known writing system, which was called cuneiform. They created beautiful monumental architecture like ziggurats and temples. In Hejuana's contribution to all that was particularly in the realm of the writing. And we'll go into that more because the Sumerians really took their their stories and their legends and their hymns and their prayers very, very seriously. But even though he, the Akkadian Empire was on the move, it was still a, there was a lot of turmoil going on in this area because there was a lot of political changes and conflicts amongst the city-states. And even though they were being consolidated in an empire, as the empire grew, just like with all empires, it became more challenging to maneuver because there was always people wanting something and doing something. So there was a lot of power struggles. There was invasions. There was inundation disputes, internal disputes all over the place. And this created this really dynamic and, if I'm honest, unstable environment for sure. But the one thing that seems to be 
Moose. Shockingly at this time, pretty straightforward was the religion. So religion played a big part in the Mesopotamian culture itself. You know, they were a polytheistic religion. They had gods and goddesses like Inanna, which in some areas was called Ishtar, Nana, some areas it was called Sen, uh, Enlil, and a lot of others. There was temples everywhere and these were managed by the priestly class, which these temples were institutions and rituals and prayers were all done there. These were all integral parts of their life. In Hejuana, as we'll find out later, was a high priestess and played a, and priestesses in general played a very important role. They had a very close connection with the divine in general. Um, another aspect to really look at was the trade and culture. Because of where Mesopotamia was located, it was a very strategic location. It had a lot of trade routes connecting different regions. And so this meant that they were had a lot of goods and also ideas flow in and out of their area, which became very much a reason why their culture was flourishing and changing and developing because they had this cultural diversity of the region that was unheard of at the time. The cross-cultural interaction was also crucial in religious ceremonies, you know, and it influenced art and technology and, as I just said, religious practices. So it was a big deal. Trade and the cultural exchange that happened in Mesopotamia could very well be why the world flourished the way it did. Now, towards the end in, in Hejuana's lifetime, the Akkadian Empire began to face a lot of challenges. It, and eventually the Akkadian Empire fell, just like all empires fall at some point, right? The, the power struggles and the military campaigns that Hejuana wrote about were really indicative of a bigger geopolitical shift in the region. Basically, Enhejuana really, <laughs> she was alive at a very pivotal time in the world history, not just the Mesopotamian history, because it was, it, it what had dynamics to these states, it, evolving empire, crashing empire, cultural expansion, like all of these things were happening all at the same time. And all of this, how women were being treated at the time, how everything was happening with Mesopotamia merged together to create this woman who we're about to start talking about. And I am so excited because she is an amazing woman who could have gotten completely erased from time and from history if it wasn't for just a few clay tablets that were found on an archaeological dig. You know, archaeologists really are superheroes and I don't think they get enough credit. So before we jump into her, I just want to say thank you to all the archaeologists out there because without you and anthropologists anybody who studies history and searches for history you all are freaking rock stars okay let's get started talking about in Hejuana now all right so now we have an idea of what was happening in Mesopotamia we have an idea of what she would have been facing a, as a woman in Mesopotamia this time now it's time to dive into her story and Hejuana was born in 2285 BCE I'm gonna use BCE because that's what's common it, it's just a great way to go away from adding religion into history. So BCE, for those that don't know, and I'm sure most of you do, just stands before Common Era, which basically means from like zero up and not zero back. I guess that's kind of how I would describe it. Anyway, she was born in 2285 BCE in Ur, Mesopotamia. And of course, as we've talked, her father was Sargon of Akkad. Now he was a very powerful guy. Obviously he established the Akkadian Empire and because she was born into this royal family, it granted her access to a lot of different educational and cultural exposure from a very early age. And having that openness and access 
access to that type of experiences really probably created the formation of who she was at her core. Now, fast forward to 2270 BCE, and unfortunately, Anhedjuana's father passes away. This was not necessarily a bad thing, not necessarily a good thing, it was just part of life, but he had been struggling to keep the empire together because of all the city-states doing their fluctuations and infighting and all that kind of stuff. So when he passes away, it obviously the throne passes to the next in line. And of course, that wasn't gonna be Anhedjuana because she was a girl, so forget that. And Instead, it goes to her half-brother, Ramush, and he takes the throne. Now, it was this time when her religion and literature education really probably took off. I don't see that it was a big flourishing thing when her father was alive, but I think Ramush had a different idea. The royal court became even more of a center of cultural and intellectual exchange, and this, once again, provided her with access and a good foundation to the future role she was going to be taking in her life. Now, as it does back in the day, right? Like you, nobody can stay in power for too long. So her brother was in power for about a decade, 10 years, and then he was assassinated. He goes out, the next person comes in line. The next person that takes over is Enhejuada's nephew, Manish Tushu. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. And he becomes a king. Now, it's here that she really becomes a prominent priestess. She begins serving in the temple of the moon god Nana in the city of Ur. This era really for her was about not only the priestesshood, but literary contributions. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but there's some kids playing outside. I apologize. It happens, right, in life. So <laughs> back to the story. This is when she really flourishes with her literary. During Manish Tushu's reign, Enhanjuana continues her religious and literary activities. Her poems and hymns become dedicated to a wide range of deities. She's really taking the initiative and her writing shows the deep connection to her spiritual and cultural life in Sumeria. During this rule of Manish Tushu's, things would change a little bit. So after Manish Tushu's reign is over, yet another person jumps on the throne, Naram Sin. This time, at this point, in Hijuana's world really pivots a little bit more from the religious to the like political aspect. You know, it's at this time where the Akkadian Empire is really facing a lot more challenges than normal, and her writings shift from being about the religious aspect to really talking about military campaigns and societal upheavals. It really takes a more uh, social aspect as opposed to the spiritual is what I'm trying to say. The political landscape right now, it becomes super turbulent, right? It's And, and of course, when when politics and the world around you start to crumble, that starts to impact religion institutions, starts to come like cultural. It becomes part of the literary format too, because it, one of the ways humans combat these situations is through literature. Now, because there's all these problems and he and Naram Sin on, on the throne, maybe it wasn't the best choice. Uh, you know, I, I don't know him personally, but it doesn't sound like he really had a grasp on much of anything. And because of that, it begins to get very challenging for Anhedjuana, especially as the role of a priestess, because she's like, 
like the emissary between the gods and the king. And if the king is not doing what he's supposed to do, it just doesn't look right for her, right? So it's the political is coming turbulent. It's affecting the religious institutions. And suddenly, and Hedjuana finds herself not the talk of the town, not the the star that she had been. She finds herself on the short end of the stick, basically. And through some political upheavals and all that, she gets expelled from the priestess position. And there's no real dedicated reason why. Obviously, we're piecemealing off of clay tablets and just a little bit of here and there, so nothing is going to be definite. But it seems to be probably more political than religious because the empire is starting to change and so then those roles began to change and so Inejuana winds up exiled and it could be simply because she ticked off the guy in power and there was kind of this conflict between them. Whatever it was she winds up basically booted from her position of being the one. So in Hedjuana's later years and, and death, basically, we don't know, right? She could have continued writing in exile. We're sure that she faced uh, further challenges of uncertainty. But her death, eventually, it, it really is like a is an exclamation point on a quite remarkable life to go from being a princess, basically, to a priestess, to a literary figure, to a political ad. All these things. She did everything in a time where women weren't allowed to do pretty much anything. She was a poet. She was a priestess. She was a diplomat. And to have her have this type of ending is quite sad. If only we really knew what had happened or where she went or what went on, you know. The one thing we do know is that even after her death, she really still inspires people you know and and over time her legacy has even grown anymore her hymns and prayers still continue to be you know deciphered and revered and even if she had personal challenges and wound up kicked out the, her contributions to the literary world can't be understated like they're there they're an integral part of that portion of history the Sumerian culture would not be the same without her poetry you know and later generations also like would clab onto her and really recognize her as the trailblazer she was not only in like religion the religious devotion because she was very devoted but also poetry you know it, it this really allowed her to stay in the annals of time as best she could now I, I still think more people should know about her she's like literally the first like the first poet that's that's like I'll use air quotes I know you can't see because we're doing a podcast but she's like the first known poet right and here she is still getting credit I think there's so much more I think the problem is is that it there is so much loss to time through whatever the means were that we don't know her whole story and that is very sad but I was excited to talk to you about her story. I think she's an amazing woman. I can't even imagine what her life was like. And that and that's part of why I do this is because I really like to think about what these women's lives were like and how much they accomplished when they were told they couldn't. So that is in Hedjuana and uh, I think now we're gonna move on to my favorite part, which is, you know, I don't know if I call them crazy facts, odd facts, short facts, I don't know, but the facts. All right, guys, so what do you think about Enhejuana? Do you, what do you, are you inspired by her? Do you think her story is something that should be told? Do you, have you ever,
never heard of her. Like, I really want to know what you guys are thinking and, and if you have any questions or anything. So please, like I said at the beginning, reach out to me, let me know. But we're not done yet because we still have some fun, fun facts. Now, some of them honestly are just kind of continuations of things that we already talked about, but I still think that they're worth knowing. So first of all, Anuana holds a very distinct nomenclature, and that is she's the earliest known author in human history. Not to say she was the first, but I mean, honestly, like you can't really be for sure. So she's just the first person that we know that wrote. And you know, in a time where ancient texts were created anonymously, and Hejuana's name is one of the only names that are preserved in literary works. And this sets her apart. So maybe it's not so much, maybe it's not so much she's the first named author. It's like the first, she's like the first author who's like, no, bitches, this is my work. Nobody else is going to take credit for it. I'm going to stick my name on it. I'm going to mark it. I'm going to sign it. So you know, these clay tablets that they have that have her name on it, honestly, it's like, she, like an autographed book, right? So you go to an author and you're like, oh, I love your book. And they write it, you know, to da, 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 da. keep writing, you know, whatever. That's really what it was. So she wanted everybody to know who she was and what she was saying. So I think, you know, claim it. I, that's why I say woman, just claim it. So also the next fact I want to talk about is her political intrigue in exile. Now she was royal, of course, and she was the daughter of King Sargon, as we said, but there still was political turmoil, you know, and she wound up exiled. But the, even that exile though adds more to her story, right? So like, imagine like, here you are, you're like, it'd be like, I don't know, some, some writer and all of a sudden they're like, okay, get out, right? So here's this woman, she's a superstar. Everybody knows her. She's a priestess. She does all this stuff. And then they're like, eh, we don't like what you're saying. So we're going to get you to go. So it just adds this level of complexity to her story and like really makes you wonder what was going on. Like what, what did she do that offended someone so badly that they could take this superstar and like kick them out? It doesn't like, it doesn't make any sense, but it, it does add something to it. Now, another thing, that is really important that we all know about Anhedjuana is that she was a priestess of Nana, but she wasn't only limited to that one deity. That's the temple that she served as the high priestess was the moon god Nana in Ur. But she also did worship the goddess Inanna, right? So the god Nana, goddess Inanna. So because their religion was very, very much like the, the, the Wiccan pagan movements of nowadays, right? So it was a dual religious role. You worship the god, but you also worship the goddess because you it's that duality so and Hanjuana ha had a very important role because that those were the, the main god and goddess right there was other gods and goddesses of course but Nana and Yanana were the, the big guys so she had like a big role in the religious world and because of that she was very busy all the time right doing ceremony stuff religious duties but she still took the time and remember the fact when she's doing poetry she's got a chisel and a hammer and she's like etching it into clay tablets. That's not like us sitting down and journaling. It's like, it's like hard labor. So she, on top of all of her other duties, she was, she had a personal and emotional collection that she felt she had to get out. She needed to get those words out of her soul. That's how connected she was to her deities. So when she sat down, she would write hymns and poems and they weren't all just like the stuff that they were supposed to say, cause that was what you were supposed to do in the religious duty. No, this was like her true, like personal feelings about these God. And that's 
where it's kind of a unique situation with her writing is that it gets you insight into her mindset of what like a priestess of that time would have would have thought you know it's so amazing like if you get a chance like go check them out like I'll link some stuff in the notes uh, so where you could maybe if you want to read some of this the deciphered stuff out some of it is really quite beautiful and lastly like the one of the coolest things about old religions is it really talks about the birth and death cycle right which all religions do to some point there's no there's no one religion that doesn't have that birth and death idea right but in the exaltation of Inanna it's it's one of those works that's very symbolic and it narrates the goddess Inanna's descent into the underworld and the subsequent resurrection that comes from it and this is a is a, is a mythological theme you see across all kinds of mythology and it's just this various cultures have it and you know Hedjuana treated it though in in such a beautiful way and it is one of the earliest instances of us seeing it where you can really get the idea of the creative and innovation that she had in shaping the narratives of the Tritians of her time. This would maybe, possibly, almost indefinitely be the first time someone took that oral history, that oral story, and made it into a physical story. Isn't, isn't that amazing? That just, things like that really, here's this here's this woman who, for, for centuries and centuries, her people have relayed the, the stories of their gods verbally, and she sits down and she's so passionate that she wants to sit down and etch it into stone so that it's never ever forgotten. That's just, that's devotion and amazing. And one of the reasons why I think Enhejuana is a, is a pretty cool, pretty cool lady, you know, I think, and I hope that I've inspired you to kind of check out more about her. Her life really is so stunning. And that's it guys, that's Enhejuana. All right guys, so as I just said, that's it. That's the wrap on Enhejuana and another episode of Where All the Ladies At. You know, Enhejuana's life captivates a glimpse into the complexities of a lot of things that were going in Mesopotamia. And it really like is intriguing and I hope that you're as intrigued as I am. History is this vast and fascinating tapestry I think that there, there's so much to discover, so much that we don't know, and so much that maybe we think we know but we really don't. So I, I, I would love, I would love to just dive in deeper with a lot more stuff. And with that being said, if you want to reach out to me, you can always reach out on my socials, shoot me an email on the, on the message. I have started a Medium publication so there is a blog that goes along with this now so if you're more of the reader you can check that out there is more coming including maybe a sub podcast attachment to this one called the ladies of mythology and that could be potentially starting in February so I'm super stoked by that because I, almost anybody who's into history let's just be real is into mythology too so that is a done deal and uh, I have a pretty cool concept of where I'm going with that so hopefully if you like this you'll join me for that as well and until next guys time guys just help me keep looking for where all the ladies you know and and if you have a woman that you know about and think she would be cool for the podcast please 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 send me suggestions i really appreciate everything and hope you guys have a great day and uh, we'll see you next week